So I appreciate the, 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 the vocal ministry, I really do. So it always leaves me in this kind of quandary. Well, now I'll look at my watch, it's got about 10 minutes. Do I give you the whole bit or do I just kind of give you a little bit? Let me do this. Let me go as far as I feel like it's helpful. Um, and, 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 then, and then we'll just play it by ear. So um, I had a conversation a while back and I think I've shared this before, but let me share it again. And the conversation went like this. It was a question. What brings you joy? It was given to me. And I couldn't answer it right away. In fact, my response ended up being like this to the person. I just never given myself permission to enjoy anything. I said I didn't realize it was okay to enjoy anything. My life has always been about obligation. My life has always been about duty. My, my life has always been about uber responsibility. And in fact, I found very convenient ways to feel bad for enjoying stuff. When I was in college, speakers would come and talk about God's will. And I often remember myself thinking, well, if it's something that I enjoy doing, it must not be God's will. So what's the least thing I enjoy doing? And that must be God's will. <laughs> now, I was young, and that probably was not a healthy way to look at it, because what I've discovered is that God's presence brings joy. Now, I was sitting in front of a counselor at that time when I made that statement. And I was spending some time trying to get some of my inner world clarified and sorted out. And what I realized is life can sometimes feel like one obligation after another, one crisis, one challenge. You add to all of those relational stress, job stress, financial stress, health stress, and stress from being overloaded with no margin or rest. And maybe we all feel like that. You know, there is a passage that says the joy of the Lord is our strength, which I take to mean literally. When there is joy, our bodies are strengthened. In fact, it could probably be proven that our immune system goes up when there is joy in our life. That's why Proverbs will say a cheerful heart is good medicine. It's actually speaking, I think, realistically, joy and, and, and laughter and play boosts our health in many ways, spiritually and physically. Now, I don't know how you would have answered my counselor, but if you're human, I would imagine there are times and have been times when you were feeling that joy was kind of a distant memory. I tend to look at life in two ways, and maybe this is too stark, but I view it sometimes as either, either a gift or a grind. If life is a grind, then my whole goal is to figure out how to make it through life and survive. Monday through Friday exists for one reason, to get me to the weekend. And then there's, once I get to the weekend, I worry too much about how fast it's going, and then Monday will be upon us, and then the grind begins all over again. And when the Monday-Friday grind gets too much, I start looking forward to that next vacation. And by the way, did you ever notice the root word of vacation is simply to vacate? When we're taking vacation, we're just vacating everything. And then what we find is our days exist for only one reason, to get us to that one day or week where we can vacate life and escape for a period of time. Now, and if you really vacate, then you have to rest from your vacation. But if I view life as a gift, then my whole focus is to be present to whatever graces my day. And grace is the correct word since grace means gift, and it's paying attention to the grace gifts that come our way throughout our day. And then each day holds its own glory and reverence. We're not trying to escape our life as much as we're seeking to engage our life with all of its everydayness and how grace shows up in the midst of all of that. 
in, a, in the passage that I read. These were some of the words of the teacher. I know there's nothing better for them and you and I and all of humanity but to enjoy themselves and do what's good while they live. While they live. Moreover, this is the gift of God, that all people should eat, drink, and enjoy the results of their work. And then if we had read a little farther, so I perceived that there was nothing better for human beings but to enjoy what they do, because that's what allotted in life. Who really is able to see what will happen in the future? I take that to simply mean I don't know what happens in the future. The more I live in the future, the less I'm living in the present. The more I'm worried about the future, the less I'm living in the now. The more I catastrophize about what could be, the less I am really present as to what is going on here. What I've discovered is that it takes a shift in perspective, a shift from what I expect life should be towards receiving life as it unfolds, and then responding to life out of the awareness that God is present, God is love, and God is good, and that God's presence, love, and goodness offers me daily graces and gifts that help me live with a sense of resilience and peace. I can only speak personally, but often it's my expectations of what I think life is supposed to be that have gotten me messed up as opposed to receiving life as it comes. And then in trust and faith with God is discerning how do I show up now in this moment and in this place and in this way. So what I want to do is just give you five statements. and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on them, if at all, just five statements it's kind of like throwing them up at the wall and see what sticks. Just to offer them to you and invite you to consider them. And, uh, and, 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 and see what God may speak to you through them. I actually call them perspectives. And these are just simply based on this passage in Ecclesiastes. The first perspective is this. In life, there is a season for everything. And much like our inability to control the seasons, we can't control what comes to us in life. What we can control is how we respond to it with the awareness that God is present in all of life, both in the hard seasons and in the fruitful ones. That's why I think that passage covers all those seasons. I think what the writer is simply saying is there is a season for everything. That's the exact words. That if you live long enough, you will probably see all that life has to offer, at least most of it. And there is no off-season for the hard stuff because he mentions such things as war and crying and mourning. The hard stuff is as much as a part of life as the good stuff. It has nothing to do with whether you and I have good faith or not. It simply is life. And we can't force an end to these seasons. We can't push them to go any faster. I went into Starbucks the other day to get a cup of coffee, and they were already in red. Three types of Christmas blends plus red hat. I just could not do that. I was looking for Thanksgiving blend. Don't push this season on me. I'm not ready yet. We can't force an end to these seasons, but all we can do is keep showing up each day within whatever season we are in and ask ourselves, how do I respond today? What do I need to do to make it through? How can I live into the grace God is offering me? Perspective two, in our life, we are invited to open up our eyes as best as we can and become aware of the ways God's grace and gifts show up in our life on an everyday and daily basis, or to put it another way, to savor the life we are living. What's interesting, this word in Ecclesiastes, enjoy, actually that's the word the translators used, to enjoy life. But the word actually means to pay attention it actually means to see. So in other words, I think what the writer is saying is pay attention in life. 
so that when God's grace and gifts show up, we will be able to be fully aware of them and to see them and receive them and find joy in them. To enjoy life is less about creating this artificial experience or substitute, substitute experience. It is to pay attention to these everyday moments of goodness and grace that God gifts us with and to receive them as signs of both God's presence and God's grace. To simply sometimes savor life and in the simple things. And I think I heard that this morning. Perspective, perspective three, what if all we ever needed and this was huge for me. What if all we ever needed, I needed, to experience a meaningful life I already possess? And we are already experiencing. We risk spending our life, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, chasing the wind as an exercise in futility. And then we wake up and realize that all we ever needed, we have right now. We don't have to go chasing after it. It's already here in the present. Enough said. Full stop. Perspective four. Our soul will long for a quality of life that transcends the daily grind of everyday life and fills us with a depth of meaning that gifts us with joy, peace, and contentment, and the sense that we are enough, a quality of life that exists and get, gifts us with perseverance and resilience. This is what I think the writer is saying when he says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. It's from that place that we discover depth and meaning in our life that can't be discovered outside of a relationship with God, outside of our Creator, outside of the divine, whatever language you want to use. In other words, we were designed and created to live a transcendent life, to transcend often the temporal around us and to live from a deep and meaningful place that sometimes we can't even see, or often we can't even see, but we know it's there because we have these longings, we have these desires, we have these yearnings, if you will. And when we don't quite understand them and we want to fill them, we try to fill them up with things outside of us. But then the writer says, eternity has been placed in our hearts. Be in connection with the Creator, with God. Thomas Kelly, Quaker, put this, put it this way, quote, surface living has brought on the world's tragedy. Deeper living leads to the eternal Christ, hidden in all of us. An absolute loyalty to this inner Christ is the only hope of a new humanity. In the clamor and the din of the day, the press of eternity's warm love still whispers in each of us as our truest self. Attend, he says, to that eternal within us, that he may recreate you and will sow you deep into the furrows of the world's suffering. Now, Thomas Kelly could give a lot of poetic phrases and words, beautiful. But I love what he says, attend to the eternal. Attend to that place deep within our soul, that deep longing that goes beyond anything that the world, if you will, can satisfy. And we know it's there. Attend to it. Because the writer of Ecclesiastes says to us, that is where we will discover our deepest meaning, our deepest fulfillment, and our deepest purpose. And then the last perspective is this. We live in a world that is drenched and I want to underscore that word drenched. We drip in the love of God. And it is this love that gifts us with everything we need to live abundantly, which is different than living excessively. We live excessively when we don't think we have enough. We are enough. And we drenched and drip in the love of God. And to live in this abundant life is to live gratefully. It is to live as a participant in God's love rather than a bystander of God's love. And so I'm going to offer you that quote that's in your bulletin. 
the Thomas Merton quote. You see it on the right-hand side. And let this be sort of our benediction as we take a few moments before we sing our final hymn. This is one of my favorites for this time of year. To be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything He has given us. And He has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of His love. Think about that, friends. Each breath that you take, that you have taken, that you're taking right now, is a gift of God's love. Every moment of existence is a grace. It brings with it immense graces from Him. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, is constantly awakening to new wonder and to the praise of the goodness of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. When you look back on your week, so how did you experience God's gifts? And when we move forward into this week, how can we open ourselves up to the simple gifts and presents that God offers us?